Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Our series that we've been going through is Romans. We've actually got, I think, three left. We got today, chapter 14, next week, chapter 15, and the week after that, chapter 16, then we're done. We'll never read Romans ever again. No, I'm just kidding. But um, to, make, to help out with this sermon, I, I want to use an analogy. I hope you can relate to this. I'm confident you can. But there are times when Catherine and I are having to make a decision where Catherine thinks that I don't care about the decision. Has that ever happened in any of y'all's relationships or marriages where they're like, no, 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 seriously, I want your input. And it seems like you don't care. And here's what I always say. I say, Catherine, and I've got a little, a very in-depth chart to make this point. Okay, a little graph for all of you. Here are all the options that I'm comfortable with, Catherine. I would be fine with all of these things. And here are the options that you're comfortable with. And the odds are that if you just go ahead and pick what you want, I can almost guarantee you it will fit in the options I'm comfortable with. Well, what do you think we should paint the walls in the living room? Whatever you want. No, I want you to care. Trust me, you might have like four options that you're like, these would work. Oh, I would never do this color. I would never do this color. I would be fine with so many colors. But you, you see, y'all following me? You've experienced this before? Catherine, where are we going to eat for lunch? Well, do you want to have input? Well, I'm okay with all of these options. By the way, before I started this sermon, I asked Catherine if I could use this chart. Um, and, and by the way, I did purposely put that blue ball, the smaller one, right... Oh, yeah, anybody who's listening to this and not watching, you're going to be lost. But I put the little circle right on the edge because there are times... There are times where she's like, what do you think about the name Maximus? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. She never has said the name Maximus. But <laughs> there are some options that might be out of my big, comfortable with circle. Now, by the way, some of you may not be able to re relate to this. Some of you may be like, oh, no, I'm super stingy about my, where I want to, or I'm, I, no, we're, I'm the one, that, I'm the guy, and I'm the one that is always like, no, we're going to paint the walls this color. And She's fine with it. I don't know. But you see what I'm saying, okay? And we, we learn in our relationships, hopefully you learn this at a young age. Um, you will struggle as you get older if you don't learn this at a, a young age. But we learn this valuable skill of being able to say, for the sake of us to be able to be on the same page, I'm willing to adapt to what is going to work best for you. So I came up with a few examples. We could list tons of them. But it would be like if Landry Joe in her preschool class, she has about... I think maybe seven in her class with her, if one of the kids got diagnosed with really bad peanut allergy, if we as a class said, you know what, I know my daughter likes peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but we're willing to make some concessions because of one of her classmates having a really bad peanut allergy. The things that that person can eat is a smaller circle, whereas Landry Joe can, can do that, but we're going to accommodate for that student. You with me? Okay. Or let's imagine a family is trying to get together for Thanksgiving dinner and most of the family is free all day. But one part of the family is like, well, we, we're only available that evening. It would be kind of rude if the family was like, you know what, let's do breakfast. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, wait, wait a second. We said we're only free in the evening. It's like the accommodating thing, the thing that we learn at a young age is, okay, because we want all of us to be together, we're going to meet for dinner so that we can all be there. Another example, one that I thought might sound more, uh, I don't know, something that you might see in the news, like one of those heartwarming stories. Wait, 
If it's on, it's probably not heartwarming. Anyway, but a heartwarming story would be, what if there was a senior class that they had a tradition where they always went to like a movie on the last week of school? What if maybe at this senior class, let's say it's a school like Clifton where the senior class isn't that big. What if one of the students was blind or something? And they said, you know what? This isn't going to be all that great for that student. What if we went to like an orchestra concert or, a, or an awesome... Uh, I don't know, whatever band the kids are listening to these days. What if we went to that concert instead of going to a movie? So that, because that person isn't going to be able to participate if we don't find a way for us all to be able to do something that we can all enjoy. Okay? Is that making sense? Here in Romans 14, we are at a section. We are getting to the place in the letter where you're seeing a little bit more of the, some of the real purposes of why Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome. He didn't write it so that it would be the the seventh book in our New Testament. He wrote it because there was a specific thing going on in the church in Rome. You had these Jewish Christians who thought this is how you're supposed to do church, keeping up with a lot of their Jewish traditions. And you had these non-Jewish, which we call Gentile Christians, that really couldn't care about any of those Jewish traditions. And each of them thinks this is how you should do church. No, this is how you should do church. This is the best way. This is the best way. And Paul is saying, listen, y'all, I want you to do what you need to do so that you can both be doing church together, unified. And this is the crux of this 14th chapter. I'm going to read it all. It might be not worth it to read it all, but I think it's worth it. And so I hope you follow along on the screen or you can turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 14. <clears throat> Except the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything. These are the Gentile, non-Jewish Christians. They're like, yeah, I don't have to worry about what I eat. But another, the Jewish Christians, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. For God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall. He's saying, the master's the one that gets to decide who stands and who falls. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. That, that right there could be a sermon, just that line. You are the, we are not allowed to say who of God's servants stands or falls. The master gets to say. And the master's going to make sure they stand, not because of their own merit, but because God will make them stand. So... I've got a lot of, I don't even know if you could call it main points because there's too many of them. I feel like you have to have like three or less for it to be a main point. So I've got points today. The first point is, the first line from Paul, Romans 14, is do not quarrel over disputable matters. In the letter in Rome, the Christians in Rome are quarreling over things that Paul is like, listen, this whole whether the food is clean or unclean, whether the food is sacrificed to an idol or not, it doesn't matter. It's not that big of a deal. It's a disputable matter. You're, it's something that y'all can debate about. Or later we're going to see they're going to talk about holy days. Which day of the week is more holy than the other day? Paul's like, don't. that's not a big deal. Don't quarrel over it. I understand that the million dollar follow-up question of this, which I will get to, like the million dollar question is, well, Drew, well, Paul, what are the non-disputable matters and what are the disputable ones. I get that. I will come back to that question in a little bit. But the first thing you need to know is Paul, from his own writing, even though, yeah, Paul says, do not quarrel over disputable matters. So the next point is, 
He says the very next part is, do not judge each other for where you land on these disputable matters. He says it in verse 3, to the one who eats everything, or, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not everything must not judge the one who does. You don't be judging them for eating the, the meat, and you don't be judging them for not eating the meat. Okay? I'm going to use, I debated about this. I think that this is going to be worth it, but I realize that I may be stepping in it here. But I think a good analogy would be what we have lived through recently with the COVID vaccine. There are some people, for some reason, who believe that if you don't get the vaccine, you are the worst of the worst. And there are some people that think if you did get the vaccine, you are the worst of the worst. I'm, you all noticed this when you lived in 2020, correct? Okay. One of the things for me that I would say is a really big deal, and, and I, even, I even thought I had Christian brothers and sisters who would say, if you get that vaccine, you must not have faith because you must not trust God with your life. I had other Christians who said, if you don't get the vaccine, you must not be a Christian because you must not love your brothers and sisters to actually be thinking about their well-being. I heard Christians adamantly saying both of these things. And the thing that got me frustrated was not whether you got the vaccine or whether you didn't get the vaccine. The thing that got me frustrated was you should never look at the other person and go, you're the worst, you're an idiot because you did blank. And this group should never look at the other person and say, you're the worst, you're an idiot because you didn't do blank. You following me with this analogy? Okay. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, do not... Now, by the way, Paul is not talking about a medical thing. He's talking about with church, your church doctrinal issues that you're stirring about. Do not do something where on these disputable matters that you have, don't let it become something where you're judging the other for seeing it a different way than you do. Okay, I believe that if Paul had been here in 2020, he probably would have said, hey, both of you, quit judging each other. God is the judge. He is the one who will determine whether you rise or fall. And guess what? He is going to make both of you stand. When we are present with brothers and sisters in Christ who see the topic differently, Paul calls us not to judge them. Let's keep reading. This is just a pleasant chapter, isn't it? Okay. Romans 14, verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another. So here's, you're seeing Paul is illustrating one of the topics that's being disputed in Rome. One of the things that's breaking their unity. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. For they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. Does that make sense? This is probably where I could have added another bullet point. I've made this point in this sermon or in this building before. My mom's here so she can be present for it finally. Some moms say, my kid is not watching that movie. And some moms say, my kid is watching that movie. In my opinion, the right answer is not whether you let them or not. The right answer is, did you do what you think God would want you to do? Does God say, go see that movie? Then make your kid go see that movie. Does God say, do not let your kids see that movie? Then don't let them see. The, the premise of what Paul is saying is, what are you doing for God? That should determine whether or not you're going to do it or not. Some parents are going to say homeschool. Some parents are going to send their kids to public school. I care less about whether you go to public or homeschool. I care that you make the choice based on this is what I think God is calling us to do. That's what Paul is saying here. As long as the person who does it is for the Lord, to the Lord, and gives thanks to God, that's what I care about. 
For no, none of us, continuing reading in verse 7, for none of us lives for ourselves alone. We, we are sacrifices. Chapter 12, verse 1. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. We are no longer our lives. Our lives are not our own. And none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that He might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, and you are no longer acting in love, do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. This is a great line. This is where Paul's like almost doing the, hey y'all, you're letting this, these topics tear you apart. And he's saying, let's make sure we're, we're straight about one thing. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification, mutual up, building up, encouragement. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. By the way, if you want to log this away, go ahead and write in your notes if you're a note taker. Do not destroy the, work, destroy the work of the God for the sake of, and then just put a blank there. Because food is not something that we struggle with. But there are other things that we could put in that blank where Paul would go, are we seriously going to let the work of God stumble for blank for that? It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that would cause a brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep them between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. All right. That's big stuff. Uh, I'd encourage you, if you want, come to Wednesday night class where I think it's a better forum for us to be able to say, man, I don't like this, or let's chew on this, or let's, this is tough, or I like this part. Come, I'd encourage you to come. It's a good place to do that. So the next point, Paul says, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. In Rome, in this church, he is calling the Gentile Christians, who he calls strong in the faith, to be considerate of how their actions are affecting their Jewish Christians who really firmly believe that they should not eat or drink certain foods. They're, for them, and, and this is something that I think is so important, for them, this is life or death. I know for us, when we read it about this idea of foods and holy days, we're kind of like, well, yeah, that's kind of a lame, that, that does sound weak, but not to them. To them, this was a huge deal. Now, keep in mind, Paul is also going to write a letter called Galatians, that he's going to say some pretty harsh things about setting up things that they're like, no, this is life or death, that he doesn't think are life and death. And he's going to 
He's going to get on to them and say, you're creating an obstacle for people to come to know Jesus. He says it a little bit here. He says it at, uh, in verse 13. Do not put a stumbling block or obstacle in front of a brother or sister. So, but in Rome, these people, he's saying, I really want you to be super considerate about how what you're doing and how you're acting is affecting each other. And Paul is more focused on the peace between them than on telling them what to do. Isn't that interesting? He does give hints. He's like, you know, I think, you know, food, I don't think anything is unclean. Where does he say it? Uh, I'm being fu- I am fully persuaded that nothing is unclean in and of itself. He kind of says, like, here's my two cents, a little bit. But for the most part, he's just saying, I want you to see, I could easily have been saying, you are right over here. This group is right, this group is wrong. Stop doing this, start doing this, but he doesn't. He focuses on the idea and the principle of what are you going to do and what are you going to be willing to set aside in order for us to be able to be together. Okay, the million dollar question. How do we know what are disputable matters and what are essential matters? You know, I would say drum roll, please. You know, I mean, this is a big, I can't tell you the number of times I've had people earnestly come and ask me, Drew, I see what you're saying, but like, how do we know whether this topic is life or death or whether this doctrinal issue is not life or death? How do we know? And here is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to give you an answer you really like. My next slide is not a diagram of, of essential and non-essential things. You're welcome. <laughs> but what I am going to tell you is that Paul didn't do that for the Romans. He didn't go, now let me tell you what all the disputable matters are, and let me tell you what all the non-disputable ones. So I'm not going to do it either. But what I will say is, is that Paul is showing you that way, way, way up on the list of essential things is not letting non-essential things divide you. So let me say that again. You ready? On the list of essential things, I'm gonna, I wasn't going to do this, but I, now I'm going to do this story. One time my dad and I were at a breakfast a person that we both really respect was speaking, and he used this analogy, and I'm going I'm to abbreviate it. He said, you're going to have people in this modern era who are going to say, Drew, he didn't say Drew, I was talking to a crowd. He's gonna, they're going to say, Drew, I think Jesus sounds great, but I don't know if I can wrap my mind around hell and the idea of people burning in fire for all eternity. I don't know if I can buy that. And the speaker said, this is what I hope you'll respond Listen, there are a lot of Christians throughout history that have had an idea of hell that sounds like that. You can be a Christian and you don't have to see it that way, okay? You don't have to, but you can still be a Christian. And he listed off a few other examples that are touch points for people. Seven-day creation, other things. But then he goes, but someone may come up to you and go, Drew, I want to be a Christian. It sounds great, but I don't know if I can just buy this idea of God's Son dying on the cross, and that's the only way you're able to have what, you know, this new life. And the guy speaking said, okay, well then you can't be a Christian. <laughs> and his premise was like, there are certain things at a certain point where you're like, okay, if you can't get on the train that Jesus has died and is Lord, then yeah, that you can't. You're not going to... And so yes, there are things that I believe are essential. But when you are listing them, the thing you need to put maybe second on the list after Jesus Christ is Lord, is do not let something keep you from being unified and loving each other. Okay? So when you're ranking essentials, put that one way, way up there. Because clearly, Paul, Paul didn't write this because he was like, hey y'all, I hear you're debating about essential and non-essential things. 
Let me tell you what are essential. He said, I hear y'all are debating. What is essential is that y'all get along and that y'all care about each other and that you're unified with each other and you don't let these little things divide you. All right. Next point. Is there a point at which accommodating for the weaker brothers and sisters is a problem? The analogy that I thought of, I hope you'll bear with me, is I want you to imagine that my first preaching job was at a church where a majority of the congregation believed that the only Bible that you should ever read or use is the King James Version. And that if you don't use it, you're going to hell. Okay? Let's imagine that that church is the church that hired me. Okay? I, to use my analogy, I think that a lot of translations are good for using, for speaking about God. That church, in my made-up analogy, that church thinks that there's one translation. Maybe if you're really progressive, the New King James Version, okay? They think, they here. And me choosing to go, I'm going to preach with what's going to work for y'all would be me being a stronger brother, choosing to do what I need to do to get along with my weaker brothers and sisters. You see the analogy I'm using? I believe that that would be a godly thing. But I also think that there is a point at which the accommodating can be something that is unhealthy for the whole body. Okay? I don't know what that line is, but I think that's a thing Paul would say. I think, based on reading Paul, the fact that he even says the phrase stronger and weaker is a little bit of him trying to, trying to get people to mature. You know, he didn't say the apple Christians and the orange Christians to say, like, two equal opposites. He says the stronger and the weaker. Another thing, too, is... Uh, this is a, another analogy I thought of is when I was a youth minister, my youth group was 6th grade through 12th grade. And I wanted to have some events that were all of the group and I wanted to have some events that were middle school and high school. And one of the things that was really tricky is if you have an, a, an event from 6th grade through 12th grade, you don't want to lose your middle schoolers because it's too serious, right? But if you only preach lessons that your middle schoolers can digest, your high schoolers are really going to struggle and their maturity is going to suffer. I would say that Paul would say, I want you to do things where we get the high schoolers and middle schoolers together so they're growing from each other. But the point is, is that they eventually mature, okay? The goal for this analogy is I need you to be together, but you should always be doing things in love to where the overall group is growing and maturing in their faith, okay? Uh, by the way, I'm sorry when sometimes I'm talking about these things, I sound like I'm getting really passionate, and I, I'm going to calm down a second. Okay, so, if we as stronger brothers and sisters always live and do church by the lowest common denominator of faith in these topics, I do believe it won't be accomplishing what God is desiring for His people to be. So, the last thing I'm going to do is I'm going to do one slide, and I have four takeaway points. I'm not going to linger on them for forever. I'm just going to let you write them down if you want to, if you're a note taker. Okay. I think that this is a topic that I hope you come to on Wednesday night if you'd like to talk more, but I have a few takeaways for us. Number one, we make too many things essential that are disputable matters. So I would encourage you to try to have a small list rather than a big list of essential beliefs. I think Paul would say, based on this, that that's something that uh, is going to be healthy for the church. Number two, if we disagree with another follower of Christ on a topic, do not judge. That's pretty simple. That's something that I'm not like, well, Drew, uh, I don't know. What about Paul is saying it? I'm not saying it. Okay? Listen to Paul. Take it up with him. Don't judge. Number three, 
Make every effort to not let doctrine separate you from someone. Make peace. This is, goes to the judging thing, but Paul says in his own words, he says, make every effort to keep the peace. Number four, the message of Jesus cares more about our unity and love than our doctrine. Paul, in my opinion, is making it perfectly clear. I care so much about you being unified, more than I care about you being right on which day is holy or right about which day or which foods you're allowed to eat. I care more about you being together. So I really appreciate y'all being willing. This is, like I said, this is a tough chapter, and I hope that it's something that uh, you let sink in. Um, I am really, really thankful for the fact that this is a great letter where Paul is able to show us, like, yeah, we don't have the issues of food and holy days here. Unless, unless y'all are having debates about having church on Thursday that I don't know about, okay? But we are in the midst of things where we have to constantly be thinking, how are we letting these things keep us from being unified? Because when we do that, we're missing out on what Paul would say, like, this is really what I want Romans to be about, for you to be unified and love because of Christ. If any of you would like to know more about what it means to, to follow Christ, and if you have any prayers, there are going to be lots of people around here who would love to pray for you. Um, you can find Steve if you care about praying specifically with an elder, um, or, or come pray with me. And if any of you have anything you'd like to talk about, we're available today or this week as we stand and sing this song.